Good evening. Good to see you. Yeah. Good to be here with you. And uh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I uh, was thinking we had the longest, they say, coolest, wettest spring since they've been recording such things. And so we're glad it's not raining. Uh, but sometimes 90 or 95 can be a little challenging. And so we're thankful for air conditioning. Huh? How about that? Yeah. I, uh, I had a friend who was... Uh, uh, more traveled and wiser than I am, telling me that they're just talking about the heat in their home and they don't have air conditioning in their home. And they, but most all of Europe, an uh, industrialized, you know, part of the world, people don't have air conditioning, and so they just kind of learn to deal with it. So this is really an extraordinary kind of a blessing. Um, very interesting, Michael. What was the name of that song? Was it uh, "Help Me with My Unbelief"? Help my unbelief. Um, and I was really intrigued by that, given we're just going to start out here tonight that uh, Michael mentioned that the same man who wrote Amazing Grace wrote that song. The man who wrote Amazing Grace and that song, his name is John Newton. And one of the most remarkable things about John Newton and how he was used to impact us even in the world today, John Newton was a slave ship captain. And he had personally transported more than 20,000 people from Africa to slavery in the Western Hemisphere. Now, early on, most of those people went to the Caribbean and didn't come directly to the U.S. or somewhere else in the Western Hemisphere. But the point is, this man had, had participated in such an incredible evil, and Christ rescued this guy. And he saved him. And the man wrote this song of his heart about amazing grace that God would save a wretch like me. And he, his whole life, he was so thankful that uh, most people would say, well, who, who would Christ rescue and lift up? Well, not a horrible person like this. But he did. And he was just so thankful. And then the honesty of this song, I just thought it was really neat. Because the thing I was going to ask you about tonight was, and I had no idea that Newton was going to be mentioned, we we're going to sing that song, but what, tell, tell me what some things, just very quickly, briefly, one-liners, if you will, about slavery. What do you think about slavery? Huh? Save, slavery sucks. What else? Anything. It's evil. It's a lifestyle and a death style. It's what now? It's an identity. People own other people. They own other people. And, and they, they own them outright. They can kill them without recourse. They can abuse them in any way. They can require that these people that they own do whatever they require of them. Or they can sell them to someone else. They can beat them. They can kill them. Whatever they want. And... and you know, surprising as it is, slavery is still operative in many places in the world today. Well, most of us here in the U.S., when we think about slavery, we think about the history of slavery in the U.S. And it really, uh, before we were a country, slavery had found its way into the Western Hemisphere and into, you know, what was part of the British Empire that would become the United States. Um, but slavery was outlawed in 1865, 157 years ago, was it some 156 years ago, some, more than 150 years ago. And so we think about the entire time that slavery was present on this continent, a maximum of about 300 years. 
For the United States, about 150 years, slavery was legal. Now, even after it was abolished and illegal, still an enormous amount of racism and abuse and all sorts of things, you know, and we've made great progress since then and still continue to. People are still going to hate each other on the base of race worldwide, one thing or another. But my point is that our sense of personal identification with how bad slavery is has to do with when slavery was commonplace in the United States, about 150 years. We begin our story with Israel, and why did they need this story This called Exodus? The people of Israel had been enslaved for 430 years. Now, last week you heard somewhat about Abraham. When God called Abraham and began telling him about the future of what he would do with the people that would, that would issue from him, and sidebar here, if, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of Abraham by adoption. My earthly lineage is German, English, and French, but my eternal parentage is Hebrew. Uh, I've been adopted by God into the family of Abraham. Now, for me, that's pretty real because I have an adopted child who is now 50 years old. <laughs> anyway, um, God prophesied, God told Abraham, in spite of him going to impact the entire world through the Savior, that the people that would come from him would, God said they would be enslaved for 400 years. They were enslaved for 430 years. Now, we're just going to hear, I'm going to tell you just a minute about someone the Lord used. You all know who Moses is, right? And, and, and he was a deliverer that, that God raised up. But since God said they would be enslaved for 400 years and they were enslaved for 430 years, something must have gone a little off course, don't you think? I mean, God's usually pretty accurate. Well, Moses, in his adult life, Moses was... Um, had, so. Let me step back once more. Why were they in slavery? God had moved Abraham's family through Jacob down to Egypt during a world famine. And his youngest son, Joseph, uh, became the second most powerful man in the world. God revealed that he knew things that other people didn't, and Pharaoh made him very powerful. And then the children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, grew to be about, there's about two million of them at this time where our story starts for Exodus. And at the start of Exodus, it says that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and his leaders knew that the people of Israel have become more numerous than us and more powerful than us. So there's more Hebrews than Egyptians, and they're more powerful than the Egyptians. And so the king of Egypt says, well, let's trick them. Let's, let's deal with them shrewdly. And they enslaved them. How could that happen? The only way it could happen is if they somehow embraced a deception and cooperated with their own enslavement. Say, now, Jesus makes you and I free from sin and the powers of the world without him. But the world is still trying to trick us into becoming enslaved to worldliness and things that are not of God. So here they are. They've been enslaved. Moses has been uh, Moses has been delivered from murder. He, uh, uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, uh, was concerned about these people. And so at one point he said, what we need to do is disempower them by killing them off. And we're going to do that by killing all of their male children. 
And so he sent out a, a requirement that all the male Hebrew babies that were born had to be killed. Well, the midwives that delivered the babies feared God, and they didn't want to do that, and so they didn't do that. And so Pharaoh then came up with a better story. He said, okay, all you Hebrews, Hebrews, if you birth a male child, you got to throw him in the river. Well, the parents of Moses saw he was extraordinary. They wouldn't do it. They hid him for three months and then eventually put him in a basket and sent him in the river. They really kind of obeyed. They put him in the river. They just didn't toss him in and let him sink. They put him in a little basket. And the king's daughter found him and thought, wow, this is a great-looking little kid, and took him as her own and raised him in the king's palace as a grandchild of the king, and he became educated and powerful. So here he is, and I think he's about 40 years old, and he learns what his heritage is, and he comes to believe that he's been put in a position to deliver the Hebrew people from slavery. So he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave, and he kills this slave master and hides him in the sand. Well, then he comes back the next day, and he sees a couple of Hebrews fighting with each other, one beating another one, and he stops to intervene, and this, and this his fellow Hebrew says, well, who made you ruler over us? You're going to kill me like you did the other guy yesterday? And he realizes that the word is out, so he takes off. He's gone for 40 years. He ditches his people. He ditches God. He ditches everybody. And living out in the desert for 40 years. Marries, has some kids. And God shows up one day and says, I want you to go. And now I want you to deliver the Hebrew people from slavery. So personally, just doing the math, I think Moses moved 10 years too soon. He was in the desert for 40 years before God called him. They were in slavery for 430 years. I think he moved 10 years too soon. Sidebar. So, Moses gets sent back to deliver these people. Moses tried to deliver them by murder. Isn't that interesting? Pharaoh tried to kill him by murder, and he tried to deliver them by murder, and God is not into murder. So they're enslaved. God raises up Moses, sends him back to go and deliver the Hebrew people. Moses, uh, at God's direction, comes before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and says, let my people go so they can worship me. And Pharaoh says, well, who is God? I don't, I don't care about who God is. God doesn't mean anything to me. Why, why would I obey God? I don't even know who he is. And so God delivers these ten plagues. Y'all familiar with the plagues? The God, I mean, this is incredible stuff. He turned all their water to blood. He overwhelmed their country with frogs. And every time after he does this stuff, I mean, more frogs that you, you, you can't walk without walking on them. And, 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 and says, okay, let my people go, and he won't do it. Then he sends lice. They're all covered with lice. Then he sends flies. Flies so thick you can't breathe without them getting up your nose and in your ears and everywhere else. Then he sends a disease that kills their animals. Then he sends boils. He gives the people and the animals boils. Have you read about Job? Right? You know what happened? I mean, boils over all of his body. You know, this is painful, painful stuff. Then he sends hail that comes down and destroys all of their crops. Then he sends locusts that eats what crops the hail didn't destroy. Then he sends darkness. Nobody can see. It's total darkness. This is like being in Alaska, right? <laughs> and so, anyway, finally, God says, if you don't let my people go, all of your firstborn males are going to die people and animals. And then God goes to Israel and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want each of your households to take a 
unblemished, perfect, one-year-old male lamb. Sacrifice that lamb. I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you, you're, you're going to eat him. And, and, and if your family is not big enough to eat one, then join with your neighbors and split one so that you can eat it all. But I want you to take the blood from this perfect lamb that has been sacrificed, and I want you to smear it on the doorposts of your home, on the front door, and over, they call it the lintel, but over the, over the top, the header of the door. And he said, when I send the death angel through to deliver this promise to Pharaoh to kill all the firstborn, I'm going to pass over your house and everyone in it. And so none of your firstborn will die, and everyone will see this, and they'll know that I am God. God does what he says he's going to do. The whole country is just ripped to shreds emotionally. They just, they just can't handle it. And Pharaoh finally says, get out. Get out of here. Be gone from us. And he had the Egyptians give them all kinds of silver and gold and, well, you know, clothes from Nordstrom and all kinds of things, you know, and, and just really fitted them out. And so they take off, and then they're gonna, he really wants them to go north, but he has them kind of go southeast instead, and he has them go down, like Michael said, and he has them camp right in front of the Red Sea. And so there they are, and then Pharaoh says, what have I done? I let all these slaves go. He said, we need to go get these people. And so he arms up 6,000 chariots, all of his best warriors, and he sends them down to get these people and kills them. And that's where, you know, Michael told you, they, they got fearful. And so here they are. There's, a, there's an impenetrable body, penetrable body of water in front of them, the largest army on earth coming down from behind them to slaughter them. And, Michael, you know, I don't, I mean, I, when you were talking about that, I thought, when we wind up worrying about earthly threats and stuff, do we really think, I don't believe God? We probably don't think that, do we? We just, we just get our eyes on whatever the problem is. And, and, and while it amounts to not believing God, I mean, I really think we kind of don't think about him. You know, like the disciples in the boat, they thought, Lord, we're going to die. Don't you care? Well, this is what happened to these people. And Moses said, you just watch and see what happens. And so God divides the Red Sea, splits it up, causes a big east wind. The, 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 the water is now walls of water with a dry path for two million people and all of their flocks and herds, all their animals, to walk right through on the bottom of what was this, this huge body of water. And he gets them through to the other side, and, and God was holding Pharaoh and his, his killer army back with a, a pillar of fire that, that kept them from getting at the Hebrew people to kill them. And so the Hebrew people get through the water to the other side, and God then releases the obstacle, and Pharaoh and his army, well, not Pharaoh himself, but his army, come roaring down into um, the, uh, what was his path through the water. Now, Michael's given you guys uh, some, some uh, chapter 12 and, and chapter 14 out of Exodus, and, and different translations say different things. This one you're going to read talks about the Lord sort of fouling up their ability to drive their chariots. It says it, he muddied up the wheels. But some translations say he took the wheels off of their chariots. I, I, I kind of like that. You know, it would be a little bit like Putin is storming into some defenseless country and takes all the tracks off their tanks, right? So they can't go anywhere. It would be like that. Anyway, so um, God then cuts the water loose and the largest army on earth is killed. Not a single one of them survives. And God brings his people out delivered from this oppressive bondage of slavery 
that they had been in for 430 years. Now, there's a lot that goes on after that that's really cool, um, but, and they go through some more of the unbelief stuff in spite of what God has done, but one of the biggest things is this is a pivotal spot in history, in all of human history, you know, where God says, there's going to be death in your behalf. And the blood from that death is going, you're, you're going to identify yourself with that blood from the death that happened in your behalf. And because you identify with yourself with that sacrifice, that innocent sacrifice on your behalf, I'm going to exempt you from death. And uh, that carries forward into where we are today. Um, there's really good stuff in here. He has some really great questions for you guys to chew on once you read through these scriptures. And so that's kind of the overview from 30,000 feet. Um, there are many other details. You're going to dig into some of them. One thing I would sidebar thing, you're going to read in here, and it's become pretty common quoted that says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it says it several times. I'd ask you to take a look back to chapter 5 and verse 2 and see what he hardened his heart with and who's responsible for this. Okay? Cool. Are we there? You next? Yeah. Oh, good. Excuse me. Yeah. Questions? Yeah. It is. I mean, that's what, that's what chapter 5 says. Yeah. Because, you know, Moses comes and Pharaoh says, well, who's God? I don't even know who this is. Why, why would I care about that? And so God was saying, okay, we're going to go with that. You know. And, and, you know, you and I have probably had not more than second chances. Maybe we've had 8 or 10 or 15 chances. I don't know. Where God, you know, relents and lets us back. But he doesn't, he doesn't owe us the first chance, and he sure doesn't owe us the second chance. And, you know, when we've turned him down, he's perfectly just to say, you know, C.S. Lewis said in the end there'll be two kinds of people. Ones who, like Jesus, say, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. And I think that's what happened to Pharaoh. Yeah, yeah. Michael? Michael? 